morning, everyone. Um, thank you so much for being who you are, coming out, and uh, making the most of things. If you'd ever had sa said back in uh, 2017, 2018, that we were going to be in these kind of moments, I'd have never believed you. Here's the thing. Um, there's a lot of, first of all, if, we, if you notice, we don't, we don't tout politics from this place because uh, not that we don't believe in separation of morality and politics because who you vote for is a moral issue. I want you to know that. I, I would hope that you're looking at all of the options of where they stand on life, where they stand on things that are related to scripture because separation of church and state means that we can't promote any particular politician and nor will I do it. My hope would be that you'd never really fully know who I vote for. But I would think that that you would look at the morality of this. If there's ever a time where civility is gone from politics, and there, there's no more debates going on. There's just hostile exchanges and it's it's really sad. I feel sorry for the young people, the young adults, the youth to see in a time when um, people are just really yelling at each other and uh, where politicians are seeming to be honest and not. And it's really, it's really a tough season. But if I could say this to you, it really, at the end of the day, whoever gets in office, not much is going to change. Our hope is not in a politician or in a, in a nation, although I believe this is one of the greatest nations in the world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, and he is our king. And... Um, and I just, I just want to encourage you along those lines. I also want you to know that uh, I, I personally, uh, when it comes to fighting for the right thing, say someone's life is on the line, someone's world is on the line, that's, that's where the most aggressive part of who I am comes out. But I think there are a lot of things that we fight for that just aren't worth the fight. Um, but from a scriptural point of view, I want to thank you for yielding and wearing masks and, and sanitizing your hands because the Bible says in Romans 13, it says this, it says, submit to the governing authorities that are over you for the, this is for your own good. I want you to understand something. My, I, have, I have friends all over the world, one in particular who's responsible for thousands of pastors and uh, possibly close to 100,000 people that if somebody knew, if somebody knew that they were Christians, they would most likely be thrown in prison or would be killed. And I want you to know that this pastor would see that this church would go underground if we ever had been challenged for our faith. But when it comes to simple kind of governing rules and those kind of things, we're, we're going to simply uphold the laws that are in place, and we're going to do that. Uh, and I'm grateful if you've been watching the numbers that while the cases are rising, the deaths are significantly lower. And, but this still shows that this is, this is a real issue. So uh, the other day, I found out the electrician that is servicing our church building, um, he drove, he, I, I, we usually take our dog through a walk through the neighborhood, and he drove by and he said, hey, I want you to know I'm going to get back there and finish it up. We've just been busy and, you know, my wife's been sick. And I was like, your wife's sick? And I go, why? And he goes, well... She's got chemotherapy, and I didn't even realize that he was going to cancer. And so then all of a sudden I said, man, how do, how do you share the love of God in a time of COVID where it's like you can't just do conventional things that we do? And then I realized there are tons of people that we all know who would benefit from 
a basket. And so instead of putting candy and fruit and this, that, and, the, and cards in it, my wife and I put together a basket with the stuff that you see here. And here's what I'd like to do. Just This is separate from Tide. This is separate from missions. But I'd love if, as you're out shopping, if you would pick up one of each of these and create a basket, like Lysol spray, Lysol disinfectant, hand sanitizer, you know, masks, whatever you could find, and a basket. We're going to put those baskets together. And if you know people in, our, in, in your sphere of life who are not followers of Christ, but they're in, they're in a battle and they're invulnerable, we want to just give you one or two of those baskets so that you could do it. And then together, we could just simply make a difference. Doesn't it sound like a good thing? It, it, it really is. And so I just think that if you, when you're shopping, you just make that happen, that's a, that's a small sacrifice. And, and we'll organize the stuff here and we'll make sure it's done in a sanitary fashion. And, and you know, the last thing I want to do is go over somebody's house um, with the flu or, you know, with a cold when they're, you know, and they're, they're in the fight of chemotherapy or they've got, um, you know, a particular disease. But how many of you just want to raise a hand? You know somebody who would fall into a vulnerable category from, from cancer or from a sickness? I see one hand, two hands. I tell you what, I could, I could think of five people. I see some of your hands. And we want to do that. And we also want to do that for the older people in our community as well as a tangible way to do it. And so let's, let's do that. Let's make a difference. I want to pray with you here as we look at Romans 10 and we talk about missions. Even this morning, I sent in a push pay for my missions giving, and uh, my wife and I will be meeting our faith promise this year uh, before the month is out. But your pastor believes in two things, and he practices what he preaches. One, I give consistently a tenth of all that I have to the Lord. And two, I give to missions. And three, I give out of compassion as I see needs it before us. And I just think, you know, what God is looking for us to be is generous people and able to make the gospel happen. I want you to know that this uh, recent week, we had somebody that came in in second service who po tested positive for COVID. And so we were like, oh, new territory, right? So we pick up the phone, we contact the Department of Health. And when I got, when Pastor Dylan got the, the person from the Department of Health on the other line, and we explained to them what was going on. You know what they said to us? They said, first of all, thank you. You're the first church that has ever called us. And I was like, really? That's too bad. And they said, but we want to actually thank you because we're not trying to hurt organizations. We're trying to help them. And we said, hey, listen, we have a daycare that we've opened up for the first responders and for the, uh, for the town officials and for the teachers in Tewksbury that have their kids coming here. They're using the space, you know, and they were like, you know what, the person that came in, um, have you had contact with the people that were immediately in contact with them? Yep, uh, you're gonna need to send out a notification, we did. But here's what they said, they said, you, don't, you might not remember me, but I actually was the one that inspected your building. And when I was there inspecting it for the kids that would be in here from the town, we saw the way that you had the chairs set up, the arrows, the flow, the hand sanitizer, the conditions, the mask. They say, you, you could have somebody walk in here with COVID, and if people kept the protocols, you'd pretty much be fine. And I thought that that was really, that was really good. And here's why. is because there's going to come a day where maybe God's going to give us vision. We're going to build on the end of our building. We're going to need permits. We're going to, there might be another disaster. And you know what? When the, when the Red Cross has to respond, you know what the first place they're going to think about to set up? They're going to think about here. And so 
the Bible says, be at peace with all men as long as it's within your power. And so, so this pastor, I want you to know something. If ever the message of Jesus Christ or the gospel is on the line or somebody's life and livelihood is on the line because of their faith in Christ, this, this pastor will become the most vicious vigilant individual you will ever see in the face of the earth. But when it comes to this, I, I want to say thank you to you because without the, your participation, it would, be, it would be a problem. And so thank you. I also want you to know, and I'm taking a little like precursor service stuff here. I, I want you to know, before, years ago, my first experience in ministry was not in the church. It was in the, it was in the inner city. Out, we were reaching kids close to about 500 a week outside. We were in the major housing projects of Rhode Island. And I'm used to having 250 to 500 kids from ages 2 to 12 sitting on a mat. And I want you to know something. Your children are welcome in this room. We're grateful. I, I think that this was how it began, where kids were, were with their families together. And children's ministry is great. And we're keeping an eye on the numbers and we're keeping an eye. We, we may contract to one service depending on what's going on. We may, we may, if it's state mandated, of course, we might have to go back online. But the idea that you're here, you just don't even know how encouraged I am by that. And I want you to know that there's coming a time within the next year or so where this is going to come to an end. But this right here, seeing you here, demonstrates your faithfulness to Jesus, demonstrates your consistency in your walk and I want you to know, God, God doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. And I appreciate you. And I want you to know, if, if you're, while you're here and you have kids that are crying or whatever, we get it. You know, sometimes they get you, you pinch them, right? And so we understand that. But just kidding. But, but I also wouldn't want you to think if they're fussing a little bit or moving around that you also need to just remove. But if, if, they're, if they're, you know, having a complete meltdown, Every single one of us, I know what it's like with my kids. And, you know, you just slip out, and then they reset, and you're back, and it's all good. So uh, we don't mind them twirling around even, and uh, we're grateful for that. And our kids are going to be growing up into adult service, and so it's a great uh, $1,000 to the person that kills that fly, by the way. <laughs> all the money will go to missions, right? All right. <laughs> Let's pray and ask God to help us here this morning. Father, thank you so much for your spirit, for your presence, and for your word that you honor above your name. I pray that your word would do what you sent it to do, and you would speak to us by the power of your spirit. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Jesus. And so I pray that Jesus would be heard here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm in a new habit of setting a timer for myself. And everybody said, Amen. Um, we're in Romans 10, and it's actually pretty fortuitous. It's, per, it's actually amazing timing that we're there because this chapter speaks about the responsibility of the gospel. Do we have any football fans out there this morning? I hear that one person, but <laughs> congratulations, that one. And it would be a New York Giants fan probably too, right? Okay, so here, here, it is a great time to be in New England and to be a sports fan because it has just been amazing for the baseball team, for the Red Sox, for the Patriots, for, for basketball, for hockey, pretty, pretty good. When it comes to football, you're given the ball, you have the snap, the quarterback gets it, and the quarterback's job, not to insult your intelligence for those of you that are sport, sports junkies, but, but the quarterback's job is to get the ball into the hands of one of his teammates so that 
they can, through a series of plays, get it across the finish line, score the team that has the most points wins. You have people in the game that are blockers. Their job is literally just, boom, to take all 350 pounds and slam into that guy in front of them and, and uh, uh, to, to just keep control from them hitting the quarterback and taking him out. Then you've got, you've got running backs and you've got, you've got forwards and you've got all these people that are running all of these different plays. And they don't just count on one guy. They tell this guy, you go left, you go right, run over here and do that. They've got all the plays and the quarterback's job is to look for that opening and throw it. Sometimes that opening doesn't come. And so what does the quarterback do? He runs with the ball and, and usually doesn't get too far and they tackle him. Sometimes they think the best move is not to throw it, but to actually hand it off to somebody. But no matter whether you're passing it, you're running with it, or you're handing it off, it is absolutely crucial that you do not do what is called fumbling. Fumble is just kind of like somebody hands it to you and then just... And when that happens... It doesn't matter what team you're on, the ball's in play. Anybody can steal that ball. I want you to take a look real quick up at the screen as we look at one of the greatest moments of fumbling in football history. They'll run it through twice, once in up close and one far away and then up close. Take a look at this, it's comical. I don't know how they kept their jobs. Uh, for their, for, to their credit, the team that had the ball and then it got fumbled, they were actually the ones that scored the point. But here's what I want to talk with you about in chapter 10 here of Romans. I just simply call this pass, fumble, recover. Pass, fumble, recover. When you go to pass it and then you fumble it, but that the same team recovers it and finishes the play. You don't want to fumble it, but if you do, you want to make sure that your team gets that ball and scores. And that's what chapter 10 in Romans is all about. Romans chapter 10. Now, we've been going through this book for a while. If I were to give you the gospel according to Romans, I would say it's the gospel according to COVID, right? If we were to say that COVID was 100% lethal, there are certain viruses that are in the world that are 100% lethal. And thank goodness they're not out in the open air and that they're under protective cover. But you just never know if something like that leaks out, we are in trouble. But it, it if you were to liken COVID or a disease or a sickness or a pathogen, it would be that we are 100% infected with a lethal pathogen called sin, and God has quarantined us from heaven, never allowing us access. And so in order to save the human race, he created immunity through Jesus Christ by him paying the price for your sins and my sins on the cross. In order to look at that cross, you have to say, I deserve that. I sinned, I don't deserve heaven, but God paid the penalty to make me righteous by taking it out on his son Jesus and giving me his righteousness. That's salvation. And then sanctification is probably the easiest concept to get across right now because every single one of us is doing this constantly, or at least I hope you are. How many, especially those little middle school kids picking their nose constantly. And how many of you use this stuff? My new nervous habit is that while I'm standing near a sanitizer thing, I'm just going 
and, I'm, and like someone's like, why are you using that over and over again? I'm like, oh, sorry, bad habit. And uh, I'm really not a germaphobe. I'm not paranoid. Just trying to do my part. $2,000 for anyone that kills that fly. Price is raising. <laughs> but then God's sovereignty. We talked about this last week where the Apostle Paul was like, God sovereignly chose the Jewish people. And listen, he hasn't exchanged the church for the Jewish people, but he's invited us into the game. But he started and sovereignly chose the Jewish people. And sovereignty really sums up two words in order for God to really be at work in your life. In America, we are such control freaks. And we would experience so much of God's spirit, his presence, and his power if we learned how to release a little bit more control and grabbed hold of a lot more faith. In fact, to know that God's sovereign means that you have to know that God is omni. He's omniscient. He is all-knowing, which means he knows more than you. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, which means where your strength ends, his begins. And he's, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. He doesn't miss anything. He's God. And so when I know that, now I have an opportunity to do something with it, and that means that I need to begin to trust God. There are so many areas in my life that I need to learn to trust him so much more. So many areas where I take control, and it really actually complicates the problem. So many areas in my life where I allow fear and what if, instead of saying, by faith. I have to trust God. I have to trust that he's with me. I trust that he doesn't tell me to say everything is good, but that he says all things work for good. And so in chapter 9 last week, we talked about Paul grieving over his Jewish brothers and sisters because to them were the ones that were given all the things that, that we see, worship and God's presence and God's power and God's covenant. And I've still yet to see God show up in a way that it is just revival-esque in this place. And I'm believing God that the greatest moments of the Holy Spirit moving here are ahead of us. And I believe it and I know it and I'm trusting and I'm waiting for it and I'm staying here for it. But Paul starts out his conversation about Israel and Abraham. Think about this. Missions is not something that the church started. It's something that God started. And it's not something in the New Testament with the message of Jesus. It was around all the way back in the Old Testament. To Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, he says this, Through you, Abraham, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Not just the Jewish people, all nations. And that's why Abraham, that's why we are called children of God, but also children by faith as the faith of Abraham. Because instead of questioning God, instead of critiquing God, instead of putting God through our own tests and hoops and measures, it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So in order to have right standing with God, it means that you need to trust God and let go of that control of being a good person, of being a righteous person. And then he says this in Exodus 9, 14 and 16. He says to the Israelites as they were exiting slavery, 400 years of bitterness. No matter how bitter your life is or how difficult it is, that is not the standard by which God adjusts his faith curve for you. He looks for us to continue in faith with him. And he says this, Exodus 9, 14 and 16. I have raised you up for this very purpose that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Before there was a church, before there was a Christian, before there was, this was the Jewish people, this was missions right from the beginning of time. And then, of course, Matthew 28, God says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. 
And even in our book of Romans, in the last chapter, in 16, verse 26, he says this. He says that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes through faith. God is still looking for people to partner with to bring the message of faith and the gospel around the world. And so let me start here in chapter 10 with verse 1. And if you have your Bible on your phone, you can open it. If you've got a physical Bible, I encourage you to grab it. If you've got... uh, the Bible memorized, you can turn to it. There's some pretty sharp memorizers here in this building, by the way. And uh, if I could also encourage you really quick, if you go to Apple I, uh, Podcast or you go to Spotify, you can always get these messages in audio. If you go Lowell Assembly of God, they're on there available to you. But here we go, chapter 10, book of Romans, chapter 10. Pass, fumble, recover. Pass, fumble, recover. My brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, the Jewish people that is, is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they do not submit to God's righteousness. This is pretty interesting. Here they are, they're God's people. And Paul is saying that they're not acting like it because they're trying to establish their own righteousness instead of submitting to God's righteousness. Now, what you need to know about righteousness, that word righteousness is loaded in our English language, but in the Greek language, dikaiosune, it literally means to be righteous means that although the law has examined you, the judge has, has examined your case, the attorney has 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 interrogated you, the the defense has cross-examined you, the witnesses have spoken, everybody recognizes and understands that despite what anyone has said, despite what anyone claims has been done, you are completely innocent. You're righteous. And Bible says that there's no one righteous, not one. And the Jewish people, Paul is saying to them, you try to establish your own righteousness because you're not submitting to God's because the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ, through the Messiah, through the cross, not establishing your own righteousness, but trusting in the, that you're made right, not because you behaved right, but because Jesus set you right and made a trade with you. He took your sin and gave you his perfection, and the end result was that you're right before God, which means I can't control my righteousness. I have to trust God for it. All of the people in the world that go around saying, well, I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person. The Bible says, no, there's not one righteous. There's nobody in this room that could make it through all 10 of the commandments. Just as soon as you thought you did, you're like the rich young ruler that runs up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is looking at him. He goes, well, obey the commandments. And he's like, all that I've done since I've been a young kid is really... Let's, tre- let's test your idolatry in keeping God first. Go, sell everything you have, and then follow me. And the Bible says he walked away sad. Why? Because he couldn't make it past the first two. God must be first in your life and no idols. His possessions possessed him. Now, you might be like, hey, man, all, all that I have is God's, and I haven't killed anyone, I haven't committed adultery to anyone. Did, did you ever talk back to your parents? I mean, like, that's the killer. Believe it or not, God could have gotten me on all but two of the Ten Commandments, but the one that he nailed me on was that actually 
moved me to give my life to Christ was that I dishonored my parents. And that's kind of funny that God always knows the soft spot to come in on. So here's what he's saying. He's saying God's given the Jewish people the gospel. He wants it to go out to all the earth. He wants eternity to win, to have as many people that are there possible, and he hands it to the Jewish people, but instead of them running the play according to the coach, they decide to do their own thing, and they fumble it, and all hell rushes in on it. Now, verse 4 is important, and I want to unpack this for you really quick. If you look at verse 4, it says this, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, when you read that, as many Western Christian churches do, we misunderstand what that's saying. A lot of people will go around and say, I'm free from the law, praise God. I'm set free from the law. I'm not under the law. Well, according to the law, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. The Jewish people talk about that, the 613. And then, on top of that, you have in in Exodus uh, 1920 in that area you have the ten commandments and then you have some laws that are dietary laws you have some laws that are ceremony laws and then of course you have god's moral law and so with all of those different with all of those different laws it makes it seem like most people will preach praise god i'm set free from the law what to commit adultery to kill people that makes it that makes absolutely no sense when you think about it logically. What is, what is Paul trying to say about Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes? Well, in the ancient world, like many of you here, some of you are bi and trilingual. You speak Spanish, Portuguese, and English, or you speak Swahili, French, and English. We have a very, very strong, lingual, smart community that's here. So you understand back in the, in the ancient world, you had local dialects like Latin and Rome, Aramaic in the Middle East, but you had Greek throughout the world, and in Israel you had Hebrew speakers that are there. So you have to look at some of these languages literally through the lens of three different types. And so the New Testament's written in Greek, and so the word nomos is better understood as God's Torah, literally God's instruction, God's commands for your life. And the word that's not in there that's important is actually the word sin, because God, to 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 sin literally means to miss the mark of trying to hit the target. So, Pastor Dylan, I don't know if you're still here. If you would put that on your head real quick. And I'm so grateful that he trusts me. Okay? I want to demonstrate for you what it is to miss the mark. Now, uh, Ruez family, I just want to apologize in advance for anything that might happen. If I, it, it, because it can still, you guys ready for this? Should I, I, there's some people that are telling me to go for it, Dylan. What's up with that? Now, I won't do that. I won't do that. But if I were to shoot, if I were to shoot and I miss the mark, that's sin. What's the mark? The mark is God's righteous standard of perfection, of God's holiness. And it says that, that the law that Jesus ended it, the word end doesn't work good there. In English, for me to say end, I'm at the end of my rope. You're at the end of your life. That's terminal. That's permanent. That's not what the word here means. In fact, the word that's used here is, is, is telos is literally better understood as the purpose, the goal. So literally, the goal of the law is, 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 is Jesus. It's Christ. 
The goal of the law for righteousness is Jesus, for Christ is the goal of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. When you begin to read it that way, the way that it was intended, the way that it was originally written in the original language, it begins to make sense. Oh, wait a second, God isn't ending a law. It doesn't make sense that I can just start killing people and committing adultery and stealing, and, but that actually Jesus is actually the goal that I realize that I can't keep the law, but I need to trust him for my righteousness, that I'll never be righteous enough, and that if you even hear Jesus speak, he says in Matthew 5, 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. And then Galatians 3, 24 says it like this. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. Now, when I say a tutor, you think of somebody giving your kid extra help in school, but a pedagogy in the Greek language, uh, 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 this this individual that it's talking about, this tutor, was somebody that would pick your kid up, they would walk them to school, and they would drop them off, and then they would go about their day, and then when the school day was over, they would pick your kid up, and they would walk you back home. All they are, actually it's better translated, for the law is our bus driver, the law is our nanny that brings us to Jesus. To realize that we never can keep that law. And this is where the Jewish people have missed it. This is what they missed in looking for the Messiah. This is what so many of us have found, is that, that I can be holy and not be holy. That I can be made righteous even though I wasn't righteous. I can be forgiven even though I don't deserve to be forgiven. And you know what that does inside of me? That makes me say, oh my goodness, I can't believe what Jesus has done for me. And now all of a sudden I'm like, I don't want to behave right because I have to, or because I'm afraid of it, or because I'm ashamed of it. I want to behave right because I'm thankful for it and I live a life now that I'm thankful for Jesus and I don't do the things I used to do and I begin to do things that I ought to do not because I have to but because I want to and it makes it a joy to serve Jesus now listen here's the beauty of what God did through Jesus in removing the law and making it that person that brings us to understand that we never will be right now he's removed the idea of shame and guilt for me and here's the thing, I may not be who I ought to be, but I'm not who I used to be. And now, as I move towards Jesus, he understands that though I am dead in my flesh, I've not committed to walk the way of the flesh, but I'm committed to walk the way of the Spirit, and that I can't even live a holy life because of my self-control, because of my, my determination, but I can only do it by partnering with the Holy Spirit. And now I begin to ask God, Lord, by your spirit, give me the strength that I need to be the person you're calling me to be. And then when I come short of that grace, do you know what I do? I return back to the cross and I say, God, I recognize that I am not forgiven because I am good enough. I recognize that I'm forgiven because you gave me your good enough. Thank you for my sin. I'm going to get back and I want you to know I might not get it right, but I'm going to keep in the game because I want to win this thing, and I want you to know I'm on your team, and I want you to know that not every game is won by one. How many games have you ever seen that ended in just one move? Never. How many games have you seen that have had some bad moves and some good moves, but they still win? That's us. We win. We win. And you allow the grace of God to move you in the right direction because you trust in him.
a righteousness of God that's been manifest apart from the law. Romans 3.21, Romans 4.6, God counts righteousness apart from works. Oh, praise God, I'm free to do whatever I want. Well, no, James 2.26 says, for as the body is dead without the spirit, so is faith dead apart from works. So my works don't save me, but my works are a demonstration that I'm in gratitude towards God and I might not work this out perfect, but I'm working at this thing called salvation, and I'm allowing him to continue this thing called sanctification, and he's cleaning me as I go, just like every single person here needs to take a bath. Let me say it again, needs to take a bath. And uh, for those that are in middle school, need to take a bath. Um, and we allow, the whole process is grace and faith. Aren't you glad that it doesn't depend on you anymore? Aren't you grateful that you serve a God who is proud of you, faults and all, and that it is not your perfection, it's what? Your direction. Your direction in him. And he goes on and he says this, look at verse 5. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based in the law, that the person who does these commandments shall live by them. In other words, he's quoting Leviticus 18.5 and he's saying, the law only works to give you righteousness if you keep it perfectly. And if you mess it up once, you've messed it up forever. If I were to take a baseball bat to a glass, to the glass that's here, it wouldn't matter whether I broke it here or broke it there or broke it there. If I broke it, I broke it. It doesn't matter. Nobody can, so that's what he's saying. He's saying Moses writes about this righteousness that's based in the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Do you live by them? Have you kept them perfectly? No, but that draws us, it carries us, it walks us to Jesus so that God can begin to speak grace and faith in our life to stop trusting ourselves but to trust in him to lean on him I love how a Jewish scholar took the the took the Greek writing against the Jewish thinking and wrote an English translation listen to how he wrote this because it this whole idea of for Christ, for Christ is the end of the law and righteousness and all this different stuff, but he uses words like Torah meaning law and Messiah meaning Jesus. Listen to what, how he wrote it. It catches it perfect. Romans 10, 4 through 6. For the goal at which the Torah aims is the Messiah who offers righteousness to everyone who trusts. So I've come to find that the word faith and trust Faith is kind of this concept, but trust actually is demonstrated through actions. How many times, like me, you could, you could say with me that while I was talking faith with my mouth, I was maintaining control with a lack of trust. And God's like, just drop the fig leaf, Paul. It's okay. Really, really trust me. For Moses writes about, here it is, he continues, this is uh, 10, 4 through 6, his translation. For Moses writes about the righteousness grounded in the Torah, that the person who does these things will attain life by the Torah itself to being a righteousness grounded in trusting because the Torah itself says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring the Messiah down by means of works, not grounded in trusting. In fact, he goes on a little bit further, and, and this is what he, let me read the actual quote of 6 and 7 from Romans 10 right here. Romans 10, 6. But the righteousness based in faith says, do not say in your hearts uh, who will ascend into heaven, that's to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, 
That is to bring Christ up from the dead. He's literally quoting Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 uh, through 14. What is he saying there? He's basically saying, don't think for a second that you can ascend to heaven in righteousness. That lowers Jesus and devalues what he did for you. And don't say that you have to go down and suffer and suffer and suffer in order to earn better standing with God. And there are religions all over the world that say if you bleed enough, if you suffer enough, there are Christians all throughout the church of Jesus Christ and maybe even here in our midst this morning that when something bad happens, we, we don't say it with words, we say, you know what, I deserve this. God doesn't work in karma, friends. He works in faith and grace. He does not work in karma. He works in faith and grace. Yes, you reap what you sow. Yes, there are consequences to decision. However, we serve a God who is righteous and merciful and loving and forgiving and faithful and worthy of your trust. And instead of seeing every down moment as like you paying a price, he's saying, don't, don't, don't. Don't think that because you go down that that increases the value of what Jesus did. And don't think because you're a good person you raise up that that lowers the value of what my son did. It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with me. That's genuine biblical faith. Every religion in the world requires you to save yourself. Islam says you need to submit. That's literally what the word Islam means. Judaism says you need to uphold the law. Buddhism says that you have to abandon your desire. And I love this. Pastor Dylan kind of said that being human is, he said it like this, being human desire, human desire is, is knowing what desires are good and which ones are bad, discerning between that. That's part of being human. So that too, saying, okay, I need to get rid of my desires. That's your own self-work. That's, that's, that's done by works. Jehovah Witnesses say you earn your salvation by sharing the message of Jehovah enough. When, when is enough enough? God, Jesus wants us to get off of the earn it yourself thing and begin to just say, listen, you gave this to me as a gift. It's not a paycheck. It's a gift, and I receive it by faith, and I don't have to be on the merry-go-round of shame, guilt, and disgrace. I can allow God's grace. In fact, the next moment that you find yourself in a stupid moment where you've done a stupid thing with a stupid decision and your flesh got the best of you, would you please pause? Would you drop? And instead of saying, just starting by saying, oh God, please have mercy on me, forgive me, which would be a good place to start, but just start by saying, Lord, thank you for your grace. I want to be the right person. Please forgive me. But Lord, I want to acknowledge that you love me, faults and all. Now send your spirit and help me become the person you want me to be. And I will look for that strength. I don't want to keep repeating the same problem. I mean, what a graceful position to be in, that God knows you're a mess, that you're not strong enough to do it, but he wants to grace you with the strength to become the right person. This is where the devil comes in. He says, oh yeah, Christian, there's somebody who says the sinner's prayer, and then they keep every commandment perfect, and they never make a mistake. And then he says to you, you're such a hypocrite, and you're like, I'm such a hypocrite. You can't do this thing. I can't do this thing. Maybe God isn't real. Maybe we made this up. Let me stay home. Hand me the remote. I'm going to crash through that Netflix series. And he just disconnects you. I love this verse. Listen, there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. Verse 12, for the same Lord is Lord of all, 
bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. There is nobody out there that is more favored than you. He favors you. He loves you. He knows you. He knows you. If you, He's like Santa Claus, right? He knows if you've been... He knows you better than that. He, in fact, you know what? He made you tenacious. He made you relaxed. He made you the way you are. He didn't make a mistake when he made you. He made you because he wants you. He loves you. You reflect his image. Those of you that are aggressive and tenacious, you know what? The world needs defenders. Those of you that are peaceful and, and conflict avoidant, God needs peacemakers. He made you. He knows you. There is nobody out there that is more favored than anyone else. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love this quote, though. It's by Pastor Russell Hoden, and he said it like this. He said, people who expect salvation at the 11th hour usually die at 1030. So you can't be indifferent to this thing. And I'd say this to you. If you're here and you've been on a journey and you've been away from Christ for a long period of time, you're here because it's time for you to make it right with him. Not tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow's 11 o'clock. 1030 is that point. Now, this is what I love, this verse right here. Verse 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. By the way, there's a famous word out there about word. There's logos, which is refers to Jesus as the living word, but then there's rhema, which is a spoken word. And when God speaks, the universe listens, doesn't it? And so here he's trying to give us a hint. He's saying, how do you want faith to increase in your life? How do you want it? How, how can you make this walk a little bit more graceful? How can you get strength? How can you have something to hold on to when everything's falling apart? And he makes it real simple. And, and it's simple. It ends up this way. And I want you to know something. I didn't know how to read until my last year in high school. I'm not making that up. I'm not exaggerating that. The first time I ever read through a full book in my life was my senior year in high school after I dropped out at 16 and came back. I was one of those kids that just totally punked the system and totally did it and I don't recommend books because I hate reading even to this day I've had to read tens of thousands of pages all the way through to my doctorate I don't know that's my punishment I guess I don't understand but I want you to know something that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and some of you in COVID you have socially distanced but at the same time you have spiritually distanced yourself from God because this isn't a regular part of your life faith comes by hearing hearing by the word Word of God. You need to get God's word back in your life. This is how, this is how faith arises in your life. There's nothing like reading a, a, a passage, right? Like you don't want to do, like you don't want to do Russian roulette scripture where you go, Shh, Judas went and hung himself. Shh, God, give me a verse. Go and do likewise. Like you don't want to do that kind of stuff. But pick a book in the New Testament. Pick a book in the Old Testament. Don't pick Leviticus. Pick a book like Genesis. Read about the patriarchs. Pick a, pick a book like Exodus and see what deliverance looks like. Pick, pick a book Pick a book like, like Luke and see what the life of Jesus was like up close. Pick an epistle like Romans and read through what everything we're talking about here. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. And perhaps the limitations of your faith are related to the limitations of you accessing this book. They are. They are. And so God says, listen, the law will walk you over to me, but... Listen, I've got great and precious promises for you that I want to unleash in your life, and it's found in this book. Everybody take a deep breath in and hold it. Ready? One, two, three, go. I'm just kidding. I've been breathing. (laughs) 
Some of you are like, I'm not going to let him beat me. I'm not going to let him beat me. <laughs> just as sure as a flame can't burn without air, just as sure as your body can't live without oxygen, your soul and your faith cannot live without this book. You wonder, faith comes by hearing. And what's interesting is, is the Hebrew word for hear, shema, literally means to obey. It, you keep hearing it, and you keep hearing it, but it's hearing by the word of Christ. That word of faith. God wants to pour faith into your life to trust him for greater things. And if you'll pick up this book, I guarantee you this week, you'll get that rhema word that will leap right off of the page and shout right into your life. And it might have been a long time, and you might feel bad about the fact that you can't develop that habit, but I'm guaranteeing you, I'm telling you, I got a promise from God for you. You pick up that book and you begin to read it. God will begin to shout into your life faith and encouragement to trust him. It's like breathing. You need it. It's the breath of life. And as we close here, 8 million, 865 million Muslims around the world have never heard the name of Jesus once, have never taken their first breath. 550 million Hindus have never heard the name of Jesus once. They have never taken their first breath. Where Boaz comes from, there's the, I believe it's the 48th parallel, and down below the 48th parallel, the majority of people down there are Christians and the gospel is saturated, but above that 48th parallel where actually I think it's your uncle does outreach into that part of the world, more than I think 48% of the unreached people groups are up there. I have a file in my office of missionaries that say, Pastor Paul, we want to go. We're willing to take our life and relocate it to India, to Saudi Arabia, to Sudan, Listen, I'll tell you what, these peace treaties that are interacting with Israel right now is going to open up nations to the gospel like never before. Everybody thought that the Middle East was untouchable. I'm telling you that I'm telling you that I'm telling you, get ready as a church because we may find ourselves doing missions trips in places that we never even thought the mission was possible. I'll never forget Ben Crandall when I was at Bible college. He had a vision of God, of him running across the world and preaching the gospel, going from nation to nation. And then finally he reached Berlin and he saw the Berlin Wall fall. He was one of the map workers that charted out the flight pattern for the dropping bombs at Nagasaki and Hiroshima. He was the one that charted those maps out. He saw what it was like in communist world. He said, I'm telling you the Berlin Wall is going to fall. He began to collect Russian pastors and translators and just by faith by faith he began to do that and then I remember him getting up and telling that vision about three times in a service and one service he said I'm screaming it the Berlin Wall is gonna fall and the next day we turn on the news station and there's the Berlin Wall getting ripped down and they moved in with the gospel church we need to get ready for the opportunities that are gonna open that have never been open before. I know we're shut down because of COVID, but I'm telling you, God is taking a breath before the plunge of one of the greatest mission movements in history, and we are going to be able to be a part of it. But Paul says it like this, and this is the important part for us to understand here. In his domino effect of the gospel, chapter 10, verse 14, how then will they call on him? How will they call on him if they have not heard? 
how will they hear if they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard of? And how are they going to hear unless someone is preaching? And how are they going to preach unless someone is sent? And here, are the people willing to preach? But our sending ability in giving to missions is missing that effect. You see, what, if these people could reverse the process and knew what was possible, they would be running to us, but they don't know. How can they call on him they have not heard of? Right now, we're actually further from the Great Commission than they were in the time of Jesus. Right now, as we stand here, 42 million people have never heard the name of Jesus once. They couldn't hear of it if they wanted to because there's no one in their dialect, no one in their vicinity, no one in their region, no one in their country, no one in their part of the world that even knows anything about Jesus to be able to tell them. And I know this brings up the question of what about those that die that never heard of him? Well, we could take the reformed approach and say that God appointed the times, the seasons, and the places for everyone to be born. Somehow that doesn't sit right with me. I've heard of plenty of stories of where God supernaturally reached into a village, not urban legends, people I know directly of things that have happened there. But I, I think the truth is, is, is that God's waiting for the church to partner with him because he doesn't have puppets. He partners with people. Somebody would say, God, here am I. Somebody like that person we saw at the beginning of the service that, 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 that just was a, somebody like Hudson Taylor who was a doctor and said, I'll go. We support chiropractors who are in a, a, a nation in northern Africa where the gospel is illegal. He was a wealthy chiropractor and he said, I want to do something for eternity's sake and I'm willing to go. God, here am I, send me. Him and his wife are working as chiropractors all throughout the, the, the northern Africa and sharing the gospel and people are coming to Christ like crazy, but how can they go unless they're sent? I know it's been a difficult season and I know that COVID has had impacts on us financially and I know that you would think, Pastor, why would you even talk about tithing, let alone talk about, talk about uh, missions giving? I want you to know as a pastor, I started tithing when I made $119 a week, not because I was a pastor, I was a Christian. And I never stopped since. That's not something that is a budget item that you adjust. It's a way of saying, God, I have faith and I trust you that you are God of my finances, not just God of my failures and my, my messes that I make, but you're, you're Lord of my finances. Not ashamed of doing it. This pastor preaches and practices what he preaches. Second thing is this, is that in the Old Testament, there were all kinds of offerings. There were free Holocaust offerings, literally is how it translates, that it all was burnt, nobody ate it, all of it went to God, just to say, this is how much I love you, God. And then there were free will offerings and peace offerings, and all of these things were even separate from the tithe of all that came in through the businesses and all that came in through people's lives, and $4,000 for the person that kills that fly. It all goes to missions. If 25 of you here today said, I'm going to write a check for $3,600 beyond the tithe to missions, or said, I'll give $70 a week, that's like saying, instead of me spending $14 for five days on lunch at work, I'm going to redirect it to missions, our goal would be met. We'd be done. We won't talk about this anymore. If 50 of you here today wrote a check for or push paid uh, $1,731, I got them. 
$35 a week in auto pay giving, we'd reach our goal. We wouldn't be talking about it. We waste that much in Amazon purchases where we're like, why did I order that? If a hundred of you here said, I'm going to give $900 today or said, I'm going to give $18 per week and you set up that auto giving and automatically had deducted, we'd reach our goal. That would just simply be like you saying, you know what? I'm no longer going to buy my coffee. I'm going to brew my coffee and redirect that resource. 42 million people, a file this thick of missionaries that are asking us, the two missionaries that you saw up there, we don't support either of them because we can't. And yet all of the bills that we have for what we do here, I, I just don't think, I just don't think it's, it's that much. I think that that's part of faith as well too, to be able to say, Lord, my works of supporting your work says I believe in this and this pastor will never apologize for telling you that your responsibility lies in this area we're not necessarily this the goers but we are definitely the senders Keith Green the musician he said this generation of believers is responsible for this generation of souls all over the world we're responsible for them we're responsible for the needs, to pray daily for the needs of them and asking the question, how about me not sending my money this time? How about me going? And he said, it's so easy to write a check. So easy. But God can't cash out of state checks in heaven. He needs you. There are some of you in here that might be like that person in the opening video. Say, here am I, Lord, send me. I'm telling you, I'm going to do two things, by uh, one thing by faith here. One thing by faith I'm going to do is, is we're going to begin to plan a missions trip for 2022 by faith. And if COVID's still with us, we have a different problem in the world. But I believe that we have been called to put deeds to our faith and impact missions and be faithful with what God has given us. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your son. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your righteousness. We thank you that nobody here is going to heaven because they were good enough. Nobody here is going to get into heaven because they suffered enough. Your law just simply shows us that we need to trust enough. And so, Lord, first of all, through this room right now, we just make this call not to come forward to this altar, but to come before you right where everyone's sitting. And we just come before you, whether it's for the first time or yet again, to say to you, Lord, we are saved by grace through faith and not of works so that nobody can boast. Lord, we admit that we have a terminal illness called sin, that it's been completely remedied by the death of your son, Jesus, and that you continually want to continue cleansing our life, but that doesn't mean that you reject our life in, in the in-between, that you never stop loving us, that you never stop surrounding us, but that you want to take it a step further and get us to sovereignly trust you so that we could serve you and make a difference in this world. Lord, right now, this pastor could make pleas and pitches and numbers, and it would make no sense that we would reach that 90,000 goal. But I know that if you speak to the heart of your people, if they hear from you, if faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of Christ, I know that you, Jesus, can speak in such a way that we would do something within our means. Lord, if a widow can give two mites and you commend it, then it means that you're not looking for us to be ridiculous. You're just looking for us to be faithful. 
And so, Lord, I just pray by your Holy Spirit this week as we go home and we look at that text and we pray, we would ask, Lord, what's my part? Lord, if there are people here that have never trusted you with their finances, they've trusted you with their sin, they've trusted you with their hopes and dreams, but they've never trusted their finances, I pray that Malachi chapter 3 would become real with them where you said to bring in the tithes and the offering to test me in this and see if I would not cause, Lord God, the vats to overflow, Lord, that you would give people financial breakthrough by, Lord, making that act of faith of doing what you call us to do. Holy Spirit, thank you for the honor and privilege of being in the game with you, of seeing this world come to Christ, of our Jewish brothers and sisters, many who are my friends in the land of Israel. I think of Yossi, I think of Shmuel, I think of Gil, I think of these people that know that know your law but do not know my Lord. I pray they too would be, Lord, people that would come to faith. And we thank you for everyone that's here today that puts their trust and faith in you, that they would not be put to shame. We give you all the glory. We keep none of it to ourselves. And we thank you for this day and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.